Hello, I'm Wendy Rigby, host of the podcast Texas Biobytes from Texas Biomed. What does a monkey wearing a Fitbit-like device have to do with Parkinson's disease? Today we'll answer that question by talking to the author of a newly published study where marmosets at the Southwest National Primate Research Center served as models for the non-motor symptoms of Parkinson's. I am Marcel Dadi. I am a neuroscientist at Texas Biomed. I work with animal models and therapies for neurological disorders. What kind of neurological disorders? We are focused mostly on uh, Parkinson's disease and brain injuries, which include stroke and uh, traumatic brain injury. Why Parkinson's disease? How big of a problem is it and who does it affect? It is becoming more and more uh, a bigger problem in our society because now our uh, life expectancy is more uh, extended. So it is uh, the second uh, common neurodegenerative disease after Alzheimer's disease. And it affects about 1 million Americans and about 10 million people worldwide. About 60,000 um, um, are diagnosed each year in the United States. And it's becoming uh, more and more you know, prevalent in our society. Why is it important to develop these animal models for Parkinson's? Uh, animal models are really critical because the only treatment currently available for Parkinsonian patients is uh, levodopa, which is one of the gold standard. And unfortunately, this uh, drug uh, effects um, goes down with the with the aging process and w- with the progress of the of the disease so right now we really don't have any treatment for parkinson's disease and uh, we just treat the symptoms so having a an animal model that mimic or pheno- or copy phenocopy all the symptoms of parkinson's disease it's so critical for developing um uh, for developing a, a, an efficient uh, therapeutic treatment for Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's disease, it's really, uh, as we learn more about it, uh, it's, a, it's a complex disease. It's a multi-system disease. We used to think initially uh, it's mostly, you know, motor, uh, it's affect the motor system, but we find out that it's a lot more complex than that. There is probably um, other parts of the brain that are also have the disease, not only the midbrain, and, and, and that explains the, the non-motor symptoms, which include sleep disturbance, uh, disturbance in the circadian rhythm, uh, as well as uh, cognitive aspects uh, of uh, of the disease. So at that point then, the Parkinson's disease can really make a huge impact on the quality of your life, not just on what we think of as the classic Parkinson's syndrome of the, the tremors, but it messes with your sleep, with your ability to think, and with your ability to function normally. Absolutely. Most of the studies we start initially with the rodent, which is a good model to start with. But then there is some complex aspect that you can't really investigate in a, in a, in a way that it's relevant to patients. And non-human primates are critical in this aspect because you really can see these symptoms clearly, whether it's a dyskinesia, whether it's a sleep disturbance that you can monitor throughout the night, whether it's a fine motor skills, whether it's cognitive. So because of this, we can now use um, some advanced cognitive tests that can be used only in human and non-human primate. And then you can really dissect the actual deficits as well as a potential treatment for these symptoms. Have marmosets ever been described before as models for Parkinson's? 
Yes, they did. There is a lot, uh, a big body of work on this, uh, and uh, including from started in the UK as well as in Canada and in the United States. There is amazing scientists out there that described the the marmoset as an animal model for Parkinson's disease. And these and the initial studies was with the developing this animal model, treating them with the drug called MPTP. It's a neurotoxin which make these animal Parkinsonian. And the same drug actually was induced a Parkinson's disease in human a long time ago. It was was uh, part of a, um, a drug that when taken, it's part of a heroin in that uh, patient population that were taken in California. These scientists they describe amazingly the uh, this model animal model. Now because of the advance of the technology, we have now these uh, techniques and and this technology to monitor sleep, as I mentioned, and these and these non-motor symptoms and non. As non-motor symptoms, they weren't really um, thoroughly described, you know, before. And and it's, I think now we are becoming more and more interested in both aspects, the motor and the non-motor symptoms. So that's what's new in this paper. Yeah, exactly. That's what's new. Um, we use a, a system that it's um, that it's um, a Fitbit kind of like uh, like it. It's an active watch that monitor uh, the animal throughout their sleep. And, and throughout the day, and we can we can also study their circ- circadian rhythm. And we have these uh, cognitive tests that we can we can really uh, try to assess the the the, the cognitive uh, ability of the animal to perform specific tasks. And we also have this really nice uh, uh, motor um, uh, testing, which is a reaching that enable us to to really dissect the different parts of the movement, including bradykinesia or rigidity, and and those are really hard to assess, for example, in in animals like rodents. And you can see them clearly in non-human primates. So what are the implications of having a model for these non-motor symptoms? Would this help in developing pharmaceuticals to intervene in these particular symptoms? Absolutely. Absolutely. So this we can now address these uh, non-motor symptoms. Ideally, would be treated with the same drug, but we may have to design uh, a multi-system treatment that that affects, uh, for example, either a cell therapy or, or a combination of cell therapy and some specific drug that addresses these non-motor symptoms in addition to the motor symptoms. So now we are really trying to understand which parts of the brain that are involved in the in 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 these um, uh, in these non-motor symptoms and 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 the the, the neuropathological uh, analysis of the uh, Parkinsonian patient do show some degenerative process in other areas other than the midbrain, which ex- may explain some of these non-motor symptoms. Um, so, so absolutely, we are now we can now uh, dissect which part of the brain and what kind of treatment that can be directed toward these non-motor symptoms. So what's the next step then? Do you move forward with the marmosets in a new study or where do you go from here? Uh, this is uh, this is a really uh, a great a great first step. I think more studies are needed to to really uh, expand on these non-motor symptoms in in uh, in, in the marmosets. Uh, now we really need to confirm some some of these uh, in the long-term studies in in animal model, uh, including the the marmoset, as well as other species. We can this is something that can be easily also studied in other species like uh, the, the rhesus macaques or the baboons or the African green monkeys. 
I very likely all these symptoms, they will be in these species as well. And ideally to see the long-term effects of uh, even long-term, because most of these studies, they are short, but seeing the effects over, over you know, a year or a year and a half or two years, really our, our goal is to try to dissect the, the molecular mechanism and what happened into the neurocircuitry that are behind these deficits for both motor and non-motor symptoms. How do you detect where it's happening in the brain? How do you monitor the neurocircuitry? So, yeah, we can monitor using uh, some imaging techniques that we are using. Uh, for example, functional MRI. We can do, uh, we can scan the animals before and after the disease, and then we can see areas of the brain that are activated. Uh, and then we can really try to understand uh, which part of the network that is, uh, that is affected. Then what we are thinking to do is to take this brain, dissect them, and go to those areas that we saw in the imaging and, and try to analyze them at the molecular level and try to change and come up with some uh, biomarkers, what, are, what went wrong in these areas, and, 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 and make some, some, some discoveries on, on gene expression, on, on, on molecular markers, as well as potentially developing some, uh, some uh, therapeutic targets for, for, for treating disease. So it sounds like you're pretty excited about this development. I'm very excited, absolutely. I, uh, it's something that I truly, truly enjoy doing. You've been listening to Texas Biobites from Texas Biomed. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe. You can find the podcast on iTunes or log on to our website, txbiomed.org. Look up the podcasts and sign up by email. Plus, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. We love sharing our science. Thanks for listening. I'm Wendy Rigby.